Good morning, everyone, and welcome to CCW. My name's Mandy, and it's great to be here this morning. Let me tell you a true story that highlights where we are going today. In 1967, a lovely young Christian couple were newly engaged and planning their wedding. A kind lady from their church offered them a TV. A TV. This is a big deal in 1967. We're not talking 65-inch, flat screen, HD, internet-enabled. This is 1967. TV was essentially a timber box full of valves and wires. Alas, the young couple had nowhere to store the TV until after they were married. So the groom asked his parents if it could be stored at their place. The couple were told by the groom's father in no uncertain terms that TV was of the devil and should especially not be watched on a Sunday. Some weeks later, the newlyweds popped over unannounced on a Sunday to retrieve their television. Imagine their surprise when they found all the lounge room curtains were closed, but there was noise coming from inside the house. They knocked on the door, and after a long pause, the groom's father came and sheepishly opened the front door. You can guess what he was doing, can't you? To his credit, there was a quick admission that he had been using the stored TV to watch a cowboy film on a Sunday. He just couldn't resist those cowboy movies. Let me ask you, what are your immediate thoughts about the father in this story? Hold that thought and we'll come back to it in a moment. If you weren't here last week, we started a new series on the letter written by James. Danny explained that the writer of this book, James, was the half-brother of Jesus. He was considered one of the great influences of the early church. And his letter is thought to probably one of the be one of the first penned in the New Testament scriptures. James begins chapter 1 making his stance clear. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James makes strong connections to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6 and 7. And also Old Testament law, particularly Leviticus 19. James is seen by some commentators to provide a continuity between the Old and the New Testament, the Levitical law and the message of salvation through Christ. He's speaking to the Jewish Christians who have been scattered during a time of intense persecution. Connections to Matthew 5, 6 and 7 can be seen throughout James. Examples include passages related to joy in suffering, being perfect, riches fading away, not being angry, hearing and doing, being pure of heart. Likewise, Leviticus 19 focuses on having concern for the poor, not showing partiality, not falsely accusing or slandering others, themes that are seen throughout James. James is a book that is full of wisdom. In this section of scripture we're looking at today, chapter 1, verse 19 to 27, James talks about a range of behaviours he's urging us to get rid of and actions we need to undertake. But the call to us is far more than a list of rules on how to live or a set of tasks we must do to feel righteous and secure in our faith. 
Jesus calls us to action and James calls us to action. Throughout the book, there is a strong theme that true faith is seen in what we do. We've called this series Faith for Real. Now, this is not a doctrine of saved by works. We know Jesus' death on the cross saves us unconditionally by faith. But James emphasises that the way we treat each other, speak about others, serve others in need, use our resources, time and money, should speak of Jesus' love. It should pour out of us naturally. It should be bubbling over and unstoppable. Now back to the story about our cowboy movie on a Sunday afternoon. What was your first thought about the father? Maybe you've experienced something like this for yourself. Is it possible it's reminding you of something you've said or done? Do you see yourself as the young couple or as the father? Have you ever heard this said? All Christians are hypocrites. Or as a friend said to me, I don't really mind what Jesus is about, but the people who follow him really put me off. In reality, the world is full of hypocrites. We can all be hypocritical sometimes. Maybe you don't watch cowboy movies on a Sunday afternoon, but have you ever started a diet and not stuck to it? Made a financial plan and then blown the budget spectacularly? Or lost your temper when you've just told somebody else not to? Ask me who even puts post-it notes on the bathroom mirror as a reminder of the latest exercise regime I'm going to start, which I don't start. It's pretty easy for us to say one thing and do another, isn't it? It's a good definition of hypocrisy. This brings us to the central statement of the passage today. Let's look at James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. This is the antidote to hypocrisy. If you're a follower of Jesus, is it optional to do the things he commands? Consider it again. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. What we say and what we actually do matters. It matters to God and it matters to others around us. Our words and actions are noticed, especially by those who are trying to understand why we follow Jesus. When we make a statement with our mouths about how Jesus calls us to live, we need to do it. Paul tells us we are Christ's ambassadors. Surely Jesus has an interest in how we represent him. James expands on this a little further. Let's look at that section in more detail in James. James 1, 22 to 25 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. Have you ever experienced a baby 
who see themselves in a mirror for the first time. I remember distinctly one of my children getting that fright of their life when they realised that that dangling play gym mirror was actually looking back at them. Looking in a mirror can be an astounding experience. So can looking into scripture with fresh eyes and an open heart. It can point us in new directions, give insight into God's heart and help us with our relationships. It can quite literally change the direction of our lives. Have you ever been asked whether someone you see regularly wears glasses or not? And for the life of you, you can't remember if they do. It makes you wonder if you've really paid attention to that person. It can be like that with scripture too. You've read it, but not really taken it in. And if we haven't taken it in, we're obviously less likely to act on it. This is why James is encouraging us to look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Do we hear God's word but not really retain it, not let it seep into our soul and change us, make us vulnerable, make us real? I know this is a challenge for me. Teenagers don't let you get away with anything. This becomes particularly noticeable when you get a learner driver in the household. I'm sure many of you have experienced this phenomenon. I recently had to explain very carefully to Luke that I am not on my learners and therefore no critiquing of my driving is allowed. <laughs> but Luke notices what I say to him when he is driving and what I actually do when I'm driving. And he very kindly helps me out at times when I need reminders. <laughs> This passage in James emphasises that we are deceiving ourselves if we hear God's word and ignore it. I can joke about the moments of everyday life when the diet gets broken or the learner driver corrects me, but am I prepared to tackle my real hypocrisy or my avoidance of God's truth in my life sometimes? It's an uncomfortable question to ask ourselves. When I'm grumpy with my kids and I don't want to apologise, when I judge others, when pride comes before anything else, when I choose not to be vulnerable because I don't want to look silly, when I'd prefer the persona of super mum, stellar wife or capable professional rather than letting on sometimes that it's tough. In all these settings, I know what God's word says and I know the nudgings on my heart but sometimes I choose to ignore rather than take action. Let's come back to that central idea for a moment. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. This statement applies to all scripture. And we have a lifetime of learning what it means to be a consistent follower of Jesus. This morning I'd like us to consider what it might mean to apply these things in our daily lives as individuals, in our families and as a church community. James offers some very practical application of faith for real in his statements immediately prior to and following this section. Let's look briefly at James 1, 19 to 21. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, 
slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. How do we look intently into this part of God's word and really take it in? How do we gain the freedom that's offered? And how do we maintain this? Let's focus on this one statement for a moment. Be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. What would it look like in our relationships at home, at school, at work, if we let this one instruction become part of our daily lives? James is pretty clear that we should prioritise listening over speaking. What would it mean if you were quicker to listen, to really listen? To put aside your own judgments and arguments and really tune in to someone else. What would it look like for the person on the other end? In my work, this is something that can make the difference between building or destroying the confidence of a teenager or a parent that I'm speaking with. And I don't always get it right. What would happen to arguments and disagreements if we were slow to speak? How much confusion could we avoid with fewer words? What value would we display to others just by letting them have their say without interrupting? James is also clear about being slow to become angry. Do you think there's a link between being quick to listen, slow to speak, with our ability to temper our anger? I do. I know that when I try and listen and hold off speaking, I find it easier to control my temper. This is not only good advice, it's actually essential to us being ambassadors of Jesus. It's how he's showed us to live. Think about how Jesus listened to the woman at the well or to Nicodemus. Think about how Jesus was slow to speak before his accusers and how he was silent during his trial and how he controlled his anger when people hurled insults at him and spat on him. So if we are to look intently into just this short statement, what impact could it have on our relationships and how we act towards others? So that statement's at the start of our passage today. Let's look at a statement towards the end in verse 26 to 27. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The word religion only appears in scripture six times and two of them appear right here. We'll look more closely at what James calls the tongue or our use of words later in the series. This morning, let's focus on the type of religion that God accepts as pure and faultless. To look after widows and orphans in their distress and to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. James is calling us to care for the vulnerable. This is faith in action, faith for real. Why do you think our Heavenly Father cares so much for the vulnerable ones in our society? Why is it close to his heart? Could it be because he has made each and every person 
and that he cares for them all equally. Elsewhere in James, he condemns favouritism and calls the rich out who abuse the poor. In fact, he uses very strong language against people who exploit others. If we come back to our opening thoughts on some Christians being hypocrites, how do you think looking after widows and orphans in distress might be an antidote? How would it be if we were known for our kindness and generosity towards those who need it most? What would it mean for you personally if today you were to look intently into this part of God's word? What would I need to do differently as a result? When I met Pete's family, I met their adopted grandmother, Audrey. Pete's dad offered her a lift home from church one day and realised she was going home to an empty house, so he invited her for lunch. That began about 15 years of Sunday lunches, family events, weddings and the like. Audrey became part of the family for the rest of her life. Pete's dad and their family looked after this one widow and ultimately looked after her until she died. And they were so blessed by adopting Audrey. When I was in primary school, I came home complaining to my mum about a new kid at school who was constantly teasing and bullying me. Mum went up to the school to sort it out. And before long, the boy that was annoying me started spending weekends with us. <laughs> he was living in a boy's home with a troubled history. Glenn became a fixture in our weekends and holidays and at various times throughout his life he lived with our family for extended periods. There are good memories of times with Glenn and also some very difficult ones. But he came to know Jesus in the time that we knew him before his death at the age of 40. I'm very thankful that he was part of our lives and that my parents showed me in their actions what it meant to care for and love the vulnerable. I heard a story recently from someone who many, many years ago lost their father to a car accident when they were 13 years old. Their mother was left a widow with two children in an era where there was no single parent or widow's pension. The family had previously been missionaries overseas and they were back currently living in Australia and the father had been the chairman of this mission organisation. The mission group told the widow that they would pay her husband's wage for the next six months after his death so that she had time to get on her feet and work out how to generate an income. After the six months, the mission group made her pay it back. At this point, my jaw nearly hit the table. The person telling me this story admitted that it still stuck with her all these years later. However, she graciously added that the mission group felt the funds that had been given had been allocated for overseas mission. And so they had to make sure that the funds went there. While this story really saddened me at the time, I was actually encouraged that the person I was talking to had continued to put her faith in action and choose to move past this and still have a faith in Jesus, even though people had badly let her down. Today we've looked at a couple of exhortations from James that show faith in action. There is plenty more to come in the book of James that will challenge and encourage us. But as we finish this morning, let's come back to that key verse. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. 
Do what it says. Sometimes God gives us a nudge in the right direction and we choose whether we will step out in faith and action. I spoke with someone from our life group after, after Heather Packett had spoken here about ARC and their need for more families assisting with vulnerable children. She was challenged by Heather's request to consider whether her family could be a respite carer or a foster carer for children. She wasn't totally ready to leap into this role, but she really felt the nudge from God just to find out a little bit more. To her credit, she made that phone call, and she and her family are talking about this as a possibility. Just responding to that nudge from God is that first step of faith in action. How does today's passage resonate with you? What hypocrisy needs to be removed? Where are you being challenged to put faith into action? What conversation can you have over lunch today with family and friends? What's one small step that you can take as you move in the direction of faith in action? Faith for real.